Without the resurrection, there would be no church. You know, this is just obvious that this is. But I love with that there would have been no resurrection without his death. And isn't it amazing that his last words before it, that, you know, giving up the ghost into your hands, I commit my spirit, recorded in John, he said, knowing that all was finished, all was accomplished, he knew it already. And then he said, I thirst. And, uh, and they gave him some sour wine on a, on a sponge of hyssop. And it, it actually fulfilled another scripture. And then it, the very last words that are recorded in the Gospel of John is, it is finished. It's finished. It's finished. And the, the um, in er, it, in Aramaic, the, which is really close to Hebrew, the, the words, those last words would be ma ha shalem, that it's gone back to peace. It's completely returned. The words in Greek means it's completely accomplished, it's perfect, everything that needs to be done has been done, and it's finished. The atoning work on the cross, the, the healing through his suffering, his torture, his, you know, his bruising, all of those that Anne mentioned in, in our communion, the, the crown, that was all finished and it, was, it had accomplished the work of atoning us to God. So that, you know, that our sin didn't need to separate us from God. It is finished. So I want us to do something just to start the sermon, instead of me praying, I want you all to stand, and we're going to make a very simple and profound three-word proclamation. It's simple. It is finished. It means it's completed. There's nothing to be added to his work. Do you think you can remember those three words? Okay, on the count of three, let's, uh, let's declare it together with enthusiasm. It is finished! <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Amen. So, yep. Well, you can keep standing, or if you want, you can sit down, but I'm going to start preaching. But it's like, it's, I mean, I love how it it says, he said, it is finished, and then he bowed his head and breathed out his spirit to his father. But it's kind of like, he first he declared it, and then he worshiped. He bowed his, in dying, he died worshiping. But if that is all he had done, then we would just be stuck with a dead savior. And, it, and of course, it's very important without him, without him being the lamb of God who took away the sins of the world, without him even in eternity, you know, he's on the throne, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah, but when John looks at him in Revelation chapter one, he sees, the, the angel says to him, behold the, behold the lion of Judah, and he turns and looks and sees him standing on the throne as a slaughtered lamb. So there's this, there's this agony and there's this glory 
all tied up in the heart and the person of God. He, you know, this is a revelation of the love of God. And so sometimes we can live our life, if we live our life and we all need to live our life embracing our cross, following him in that road of suffering. It, it's what transforms us, it's what sanctifies us. But without the resurrection, without the victory, then we, we wouldn't have this amazing new reality released. Because in the resurrection, a whole new reality begins that didn't exist before. It splits history. And uh, so his dying was needed to forgive sinners, but his resurrection reveals the new creation that turns sinners into saints. And isn't this what God does? You know, how many here were rebels? Uh, you know, how many here were thieves, addicts, adulterers, immoral, uh, you know, greedy, whatever else you were that was bad? Then you, he comes into your life and deliverance begins. For some, it's instantaneous, powerful, remarkable. For others, it's a long process. And sometimes we doubt, God, am I, am, I, it, am I being transformed day by day? And yes, you are, because the resurrected one lives inside you. That in your body, whether you take care of it or not, if you are a believer, your body actually becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit, the very dwelling place of God. You know, I mean, this is so wild. And, and some of us don't take care of that temple. That's why Paul wrote to the Corinthians. He says, don't you know? Because he was saying, they didn't know. And that's why they were involved in sexual immorality because it was, it was just all part of their culture. And they said, well, you know, I'm not as bad as the people down the street or, you know, everybody else is doing it. It must not be that bad. Or I did it three times. God didn't strike me dead. It must be, maybe I have a secret you know, secret status with God. And Paul said, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? None of this would be there without the resurrection. I mean, we would still be practicing Old Testament coming, begging for forgiveness and going away forgiven but unchanged. But when we come to Jesus, not only are we forgiven, not only are our sins blotted out, not only... You know, does the Lamb of God, John the Baptist saw him and said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In Latin, Agnus Dei, <laughs> qui tollis peccata mundi. You know, he he's, re he's removing sin from the world. What a job and how terrible this thing to do it. But if we're only left with that, we don't enter into the power of a resurrected life, of an endless life, of a new creation. And death still has a victory. And, and we haven't come into the fullness of it. If, and Paul writes to the Corinthians, if Christ isn't crucified, we're the most miserable of all people. Like, why are we doing this? But, but here's the great thing. Because he is resurrected, then we can confidently say, which Paul actually says, in his letter to the Corinthians, he said, in Christ, in him, all the promises of God find their yes. 
In the NIV it reads, no matter how many promises God has made, they're all yes in him. And so through us, the amen is spoken to the glory of God. It's like, so when we recognize this, all the promises are, are yes. Like every promise God has made has already been answered yes in Christ, and some of them aren't manifested yet, some of them may not be manifested in your lifetime, but they're all yes. They're all moving toward the consummation where this out of the, the new creation comes down from heaven, new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven like a beautiful bride prepared for, I mean, you know, it's all this like symbolic imagery, but with, this is all released by the resurrection. So it's in the resurrection that all the promises are fulfilled. Some of them are fulfilled in his death, but most of them are fulfilled. There's a whole new creation. When, you, when we read scripture, especially if you read the Old Testament prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, they all saw this, this reality that was so much better than anything the world has yet seen. The mountain that would fill the whole earth and crush every other kingdom. The feast, the, the feast that would feed all people, that all the earth would praise him. How is that already yes? It's already yes in his resurrection. Just like the lamb was slain before the foundation of the earth, in his resurrection, every promise of God is ultimately fulfilled. And so we live our lives not for what we can get out of it now, but we live our lives knowing that our lives are making a significant contribution to the ongoing story of God as we progress toward the final consummation of all things. Whew, you know, it's like, this is why we tell our children what God has done. This is why the Jewish people every year would go back and rehearse and celebrate the, uh, the incredible supernatural deliverance of God out of Egypt that had never been anything seen before it or since then. That God took a nation of slaves out of one nation took them supernaturally by his mighty outstretched arm through the sea on dry ground. Well, you can't do that. That's why they say we need to talk about this and they've been talking about it for over 3,000 years. And every year it's celebrated and every year and it's celebrated in the Passover and here's our story. Christ is our Passover lamb who kept us from the judgment, who takes us through the Dead Sea, which are for us in, in a measure in this lifetime are the waters of baptism. And we come out on the other side, but they came out into the desert. Well, there in the desert, they learned to worship. The tabernacle was established, all the tribes were set in order, and so this is what happens to us. We go through baptism, we've now entered into resurrected life, but unless we order our lives around the presence of God, unless we order our lives toward worship, then we never progress into the fullness of the promises. But it's there, and this, this was God's choice. He takes slaves, he redeems them, but they're still slaves in their heart and mind, and they're going to, actually, they're gonna remain slaves, many of them, for the, for their, the rest of their lifetime, because they never quite get it, but they live their life 
with everything centered around the presence of God. Where is God? Where is the cloud by day? Where is the fire by night? That we come and there inside that tabernacle is the presence of God. Now they, you know, that took their whole lifetime. It doesn't have to take your whole lifetime because that same God who was dwelling in the tabernacle over the box where the instructions were held, the Torah, the, the 10 words that would tell them how to order their lives and all the feasts. And, the, and the, why did they have so many sacrifices? Because it brought them daily to a focus. Why does God care that we confess our sins? They're already forgiven because he gives us daily focus. At Here's where I'm failing, here's his great gift. I mean, what a generous God. You, you know, no matter what you've done, it says if you confess your sins, he's faithful and he is just, he is righteous to forgive you. If it was us, we'd be in trouble. You ever have someone come to you and tell you they're sorry and you think like, well, I'll think about it. You know, maybe if, if I'm gonna watch you for a year and if I'm convinced you're sorry, then maybe I'll forgive you. But, but I mean, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, the lamb who was bruised <laughs> and beaten and whipped beyond human recognition, when we come to him and tell him that we've been a selfish, unfaithful, horrible person, he says, I forgive you. You're already, come here. Let me give you a hug. My hug will heal you. My hug will remind you that you're completely forgiven. And not only are you forgiven, you're not, you're, you're not, your reality is not just a forgiven sinner. I mean, there is that as a foundation that the forgiveness was free for us. It wasn't free for him. It was very expensive. But the reality is that we're much more than that because we were raised with Christ from the dead in his resurrection, we're resurrected, and therefore he declares that he's going to come and live inside of us. And Paul says to the Corinthians, who are, are you know, they just had a lot of issues, kind of like people living in America, you know. It, it was a very ungodly culture at that time, and so they figured, well, we're doing pretty good. And he, and he says to them, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So this is why you can't be in immorality. Whoa, man, everything, I mean, they advertise it, it's everywhere, there's, you know, it, and it was the same then. It was the same there in Corinth. And he says, your body is, can you imagine the place where God dwells? It's like golden light, it always smells good. There's, there's, there's living water pouring forth. Everything the water touches comes to life. If we, if we stewarded our lives that way, we're living in resurrection life. Everything you touch. And so I, anyway, this is why it's just so, God, give us a revelation of not only the reality of your resurrection, which, by the way, is the most historically verified event in ancient history. I mean, it, there's nothing that compares to it. And people go, well, we don't know if it really happened. Oh, man. I mean, on that basis, we don't know whether Caesar Augustus really lived. 
We don't know whether... We don't know whether Homer was actually an old Greek guy who wrote a lot of great long poetry. We don't know. And I mean, we know it, so many details and so much precision history that established that, with, that the resurrection actually happened. And I mean, the very least evidence of this is the Shroud of Turin. You know, I mean, there's... That, which. There's no explanation for. There, I mean, there's no explanation for it other than so, someone was in here and they, they vanished out of here, not in a normal way. They didn't rot. It didn't get pulled off of them. It was like, like an atomic or nuclear release of energy that imprinted all, and it, it's stunning. But that's the least, that's the least of the evidences. The real evidence is the is historical fact that all these people became believers that were terrible people and that the church grew like explosively in the first few centuries out of a few people that were really didn't have it together. And the transformation and the empowerment on the day of Pentecost, how much more, how much more it will God use you? So I just wanna talk, this is a very different message than the first service, which is good. In case you're here twice, you know you're getting a different message. But I want to declare this, that God is working in our midst. The resurrection is working in our midst. And that there, I mean, sometimes because we're not aware of the resurrected one living inside us, we go through life measuring ourselves by the, you know, just by human standards. Like, well, you know... Uh, see, I don't make as much money as that guy. I don't have as nice a house as this person. That guy, his wife's way more pretty than mine. Oh, not, I'm not saying that. But I just know people <laughs> think that, or a lot of wives say, man, I wish I had a husband like that. You know, not necessarily that she wants that particular person as her husband, because then she'd find out the reality isn't as good as the appearance. But, but that her own husband would have more of those, you know, great qualities. And, and so we do that. And, and all of that stuff, Paul said, if we compare ourselves with ourselves, we're not wise. We measure ourselves against Christ, which brings us to tears and breaks our heart in, the, in, the, in all the best ways. And we say, I want more, Jesus. So if, when we know who's living in us, it, it just changes everything. So I just want, but a lot of times we don't recognize the very supernatural impact that, that our lives have when they touch other lives. Like there's all these people that you've already talked to, prayed for, touched, interacted with, and then they, they you know, you haven't heard from them since that time, but their lives have a permanent, indelible mark on them from the interaction, not with you, but with Christ within you. There is something different. And they might not even like you, but there's something different because they came in contact with God when they came in contact with you. Here's some things. I mean, this all happened in the last week. This is why this is on my mind, that all the promises of God find their yes in him. And so we speak our amen. We say, yes, I believe it. And this brings glory to God. That, so um, last week, I had a conversation with Abby Abelness. Jim and Abby have been here for 
many years, and Abby talked about she'd just gotten back from Kurdistan. And I had been to Kurdistan a number of years ago with him, and got, Abby has supernatural favor with the rulers of Kurdistan and, and quite a few other places around the world. But, but she said, you know, I mean, and how this started was the first time she went to Kurdistan, or maybe it was Turkey, you know, because the Kurds live in Turkey, Syria, Iran, and Iraq. The part that she usually goes to is in Iraq. But the first time she went, there were all these encounters with God. You know, guys, would, people would have dreams of Jesus. Uh, they prayed for uh, a wife of one of the officials. She was healed, and on and on this goes. And so there, many of them, they're, I'm, they're really secret believers. You know, they're like, they live in a Muslim world. They're high profile. They're, it's dangerous for them to make a public confession, but they're already... They see this, and so Abby was saying, yeah, I was at this big dinner, and there were all these heads of state there, and they put me in this seat of honor higher than the official ambassador from another country who was there. And she spoke to the, the person in charge and said, why am I seated here? They said, oh, because when you come, we know your God is with you. See, this is, this is, but... Do you see, this is true for, for all of us. It, I mean, it, and it's amazing. Edgar, in January, went to Peru. And for a number of years, there's been this wonderful man in, from Peru who's been wanting to give us land in Peru. And I always thought, like, I don't... I don't need to pay taxes in Peru. Like, what? <laughs> you know, like, so then I'd say, Edgar, do you have a vision for fruit? No. I said, okay, let's, we're not going to go. But this guy, they were persistent, and, and a friend of Edgar's, one of, one of his pastor friends, called and said, Edgar, I bought you a plane ticket. We're going to Peru. It's like, so he went to Peru. And while he was at Peru, he had, he had dinner with, with one of the generals in charge of uh, high up in the, in the, um, the Peruvian government, and now he's retired, which is even better because he has more, he can have, he has all this influence and nobody can fire him. But he, he led him to Jesus. He was, he became born again, gave his heart to Jesus. And, uh, and so a lot of things happened there, a lot of great meetings, but this general has stayed in touch. And, and I've been part of discipling him and Edgar's faithfully pastored him through, through this time, and, but while Edgar was there, he went to this port that's being built by the Chinese government, right, right by Lima, the capital, and they, they named it Shanghai, you know, and this is kind of, they build these ports all over the world, and, and in their minds, they're building military bases, and uh, so there's, they're at this port, and there's all these ditches, and, and so, and it never rains in Peru, like it'll go 50 years without raining in this part of Peru, yeah, that's like don't plant a garden. <laughs> anyway, and you don't have to worry about floods, except this year. Because when they were there, they prayed. They, there were all these ditches dug, and they just prayed God would send rain. And God sent unprecedented rainfall in some like cyclone, hurricane kind of activity and stuff. And there were floods all over Peru for weeks. It's like un, unprecedented. It's a sign. God is there. So we're going back in a couple weeks with a team, and we're going to meet with, with some significant government officials. I'm trying not to give too many details, but they want 
They want hope and transformation for their nation. Now, not everybody does. There's lots of corruption there. There's narco traffickers there. There's lots of evil there. But you see, this is like the kingdom of God. Just, it gets released. And then uh, Chandi <laughs> got invited. One of our, Robert Battle, Robert Battle and his family said, we just want to take a break. We feel like we're... <laughs> Basically, Robert was spending too much time at church, and we all love Robert. He's amazing, outgoing, evangelist. Just listening to his testimony, I get saved every time I talk to him. And, uh, but so they started going to this little church near their house because they were trying to take a break, spend more time with family. They started going to this little church. It's God. So pretty soon, things start happening there. People start getting saved. <laughs> Why? Because there's... People love God. You know, there's God's people are there. And they invite Chandi to come preach. And Chandi goes to preach. And first service is small and it's kind of a normal service. The second, this was two Sundays ago, the second service, it, he gets up at, to preach and he's getting words of knowledge for healing. People start getting healed. The spirit's moving. They, he never preached. People, people, like church people, started getting deliverance. You know, people were getting saved to the point where they had to bring in trash cans because of what was coming out of people. Why what happened? The kingdom of God came. You know, Jesus said, if I cast out demons, by, then you know that the, the finger of God has come, you know, that, that, that God has come. And so I'm just telling you, God is much more with us. It wasn't planned that way. So Deganta and Lena, and they were here in the first service, along with about 20 Nepali new believers or seekers, uh, but they came as as refugees from India in the area around Calcutta. They've planted thousands of churches. Deganta was the second convert in an entirely Hindu village. And it just God has used them through the years, gave them a wonderful Christian wife. She was already a Christian when they met. And, uh, but they've planted thousands of churches in India. There's been severe persecution. Many of their leaders have been killed. And they, they were going to be killed, and they were fortunate to get out by, as refugees, and they came to America, and through a, a string of events, we realized they were in America. Our mission team had met them before, back when we had the Joshua School, and so they moved into a house here. They were looking for a grocery store where they could buy the kind of food they were used to, and they found a Nepali grocery store on Dairy Street, and then they noticed there were 12 Nepali Indian visitors, and they discovered there's 60 more than 60,000 Nepali and Bhutanese refugees living in the Harrisburg area. Some are on the West Shore, some are, and they're unreached. So for the, this, they came in the fall, and, you know, and they have been distributing food and leading people, and now they have discipleship classes, and, and on a regular basis, uh, these, these busloads of Nepali people will come, and we have translation for them, so many don't speak English. They're new believers, and last, not last week, two or two or three weeks ago, there are, many came up for healing, for prayer and healing. DJ Peltier was here, and he, he prayed for a young guy who was a brand new believer, and he was healed, and, uh, and so DJ instantly starts discipling. He's healed, so they go to pray for the next person, find something was wrong, and I, I overhear this. DJ says, now, you pray for him. 
Don't worry, it'll work. You know how to do it. Just pray for him like I prayed for you. And I just thought, praise God, it's happening. You know, this is the resurrected Christ living in his people. You know, and it's just, you don't have, you know, I'm naming names, but it's not to exalt anybody. I'm just saying, God is in you. And when you touch people, you interact with people, you pray for people, you might feel like, well, I'm not qualified, I'm not trained. That's right, none of us are. And we just, we just do it, and people come into our contact with us, and they're coming into contact with the risen Christ. So um, this happened this week also. In fact, it just happened like two days ago. I had this email from this pastor in Liberia, and he was here, I don't know how many years ago, five years ago. He just was here for a few weeks, and I met him, and he's a nice guy. And, you know, and ever since then, he's told me, you know, I think you're supposed to come to Liberia and, you know, have crusades. And, and I'm thinking, I need a clone, you know. Now, what's good is I realize I have many. And they don't have to be clones. They just have to have Jesus in them. But so here's, here's what he wrote to me. He said he was just writing to me, you know, saying, you know, want to greet you on Resurrection Day. And... Uh, he said, I just want to tell you, when meeting you was a divine connection and the best thing that ever happened to me in ministry. I saw a father, mentor, teacher, and a grace for covering. I saw the fire and raw power of God rolling from your heart, wrapped up in tender love. And I'm thinking like, I need to put my amen on the promises of God. I didn't feel any of that stuff. I'm thinking like me. I mean, I mean, Anne would love to see this in my life. The people that work here, they'd say, yeah, but we, where is it? You know, and I'm thinking, where is it? It's Christ in me, the hope of glory. And Christ is in you the same way. Do you understand? He's, he's an equal opportunity God who dwells in the temple of his church. You know, that you are, don't you know your body, say my body, go ahead, point at it. <laughs> my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. That is a very scary thing, isn't it? I mean, you know, we can say, well, you should stay in good shape, you know, and all this stuff, and that's all good. But what he's really talking about is your heart, your soul, your mind, your emotional life, your mental life, what you think about, where you, that, that oh, God. And so, so I just, I said, well, God, okay, I'm not going to reject this out of false humility um, or low self-esteem or whatever other reason I would think, that is crazy. But, because I didn't feel fire or raw power rolling from my heart wrapped up in tender love, but he did. <laughs> and I'm telling you, there are people you talk to, they go away, and you thought you were saying one thing, and they were experiencing something else. If they're hungry, if they're thirsty. And so, and then he said, please come and train leaders, pray for the president and the vice president. He sent me a picture of, of himself and another pastor praying for the vice president of Liberia and, and for the Senate and the Congress. And I'm thinking like, oh, good. I need another job. And, uh, but then I realized I don't have to do it. I can send Edgar. I could send Chandi, I could send Abby, I could send any of, you know, I, do you understand? Because what they're after is God. We think they're after us, 
So it's kind of like the parents, you get overwhelmed, like, how am I gonna do all this? God, how many want more grace in your life? How many say, I, God, I wanna know that I know that I know that the risen Christ lives inside me? Me too. So why don't you stand up? And I, I am, I'm gonna read a scripture here. Um, as soon as I find it. It, because I didn't follow my notes, that's why I'm looking for the scripture. But I want you to know that God created you as a human being to be his image and likeness in the earth. I love 1 John 4, 17, the, the very last phrase, it says, and as he is, so are we in this world. That might be New King James. The NIV, I really love it. It says, in this world, we are like Jesus. <laughs> that that kind of gets the meaning, doesn't it? So in this world, you're like Jesus. And Jesus has defeated death, and he's been raised from the dead. Now, you didn't have to defeat death. He already defeated it for you. And you will be raised in the dead because you were raised with him. And so death has been defeated. Hebrews 2.14 tells us that um, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same. That through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to slavery their whole life. You've been set free from fear. You've been set free from fear. And I know if I said, how many here have fear? Probably most people would be afraid to raise their hand because they wouldn't want people to think they were less than. But you know, there are still times where I have the fear of man. You know, I'm in a situation, I'm thinking like, I don't know what to say to this person. And sometimes I find out, yep, I was right. I felt like the world's biggest idiot, you know. But other times, out come the words of God because he's living in me. And all the promises of God find their essence in him. But we live in this already not yet tension that already God is in you. Already God, you know, when you lay hands on the sick, they're healed, but not all the time. Have you ever laid your hands on someone only you were just being polite, like, oh, brother, I don't want to do, okay, God heal them. And then they come back later and they're completely healed. And you're like, what? And some other time, you're totally like, <gasps> you're prayed up, hyped up, you're sweating, spitting, speaking in tongues, shapa, prophesying. And then you say, how do you feel? You go, same. <laughs> well, let me pray again, okay. <laughs> how do you feel? I'm kind of getting tired of this. Like, okay, so they go, why? I don't know, because we walk by faith, not by sight. It's in there, it doesn't always happen. John Wimber called it the dancing hand of God. And it, this, God has it this way because we keep pursuing him in faith. You know, we, die, we, we live for things that we haven't yet seen. But we put our eyes on the promises of God and we say amen. So let me just declare to you that 
Jesus changed the world on the cross. On the, on the sixth day, the day he was crucified, he destroyed death. On the seventh day, he was in hell, and he took the keys of hell and death, and he disarmed every demon. And they have no authority in your home, in your life, in your business, in your ministry, in your body. And on the eighth day, he released new creation. And so now we live in a time of post-resurrection, new creation, and all that is available in God is available in him. And so we live our lives for this. And, it, and this is what death has been swallowed up in victory. Mortality has, has been swallowed by immortality. And this has been what makes Christians Christians for the last 2,000 years. I love this, as I've said, I've said this before, I, did, I don't think I did it last year, but this is the Easter homily of St. John Chrysostom, who was a bishop in what's today Turkey in, in the early 5th century, the, the 400s. And uh, he said, regarding Jesus dying and rising from the dead, as he dies, he destroys death. Let no one fear death. See, a lot of us won't follow him because we're afraid. A lot of us won't open our mouths because we might get fired if we speak the truth, especially now. I mean, teachers are losing their jobs because they refuse to use a fake pronoun that in the last 10 years somebody said we're supposed to do. Why? It's demonic. It's demonic to rob your speech of power. So we stand up and we take the consequences. We might lose our job, we might be put in jail. Don't fear death. If Jesus had kept his mouth shut, he said, well, you know, yeah, who do you say you are? Well, you know, I'm just a little rabbi. And uh, he wouldn't have gone to the cross and you wouldn't be saved. Just saying, pick up my cross and fall. Why, I feel like I'm preaching my own demise here, you know, <laughs> like, let no one fear death, for the Savior's death has set us free. He that, that was taken by death has annihilated it. <laughs> by descending into hell, he made hell captive. Hell took a body, but met God face to face. Hell took from the earth and encountered heaven. It took that which was seen and it fell upon what was unseen. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Christ is risen and you are overthrown. Whew. Christ is risen and the demons are fallen. Christ is risen and the angels rejoice. Christ is risen and life reigns. Christ is risen and not one dead will remain in the grave. For Christ, being risen from the dead, has become the firstfruits of those who sleep. To him be glory and dominion unto the ages of the ages. And all the people of God said, Amen. 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 So, I mean, you know, if we live with this, this risen Christ inside us will remove what we think are unstoppable barriers. We'll say, I can't, and he'll make, he'll make a way. We'll say, who's gonna roll the stone away? And 
they came to the grave, it was already strewn, rolled away. You know, this is what he does. But here's what he does. He takes our fear and he corrects it. Let me read this to you, the risen Christ, and then we'll be dismissed. John 20, verse 19. On the evening of the first day of the week, when, so that was the night after he was raised from the dead, and they had heard reports, some had seen it, but they're still really scared. The first day of the week, when the disciples were together, they locked the doors for fear of the Jews. They were afraid. He, they had killed their rabbi. Were they coming for them next? We're just gonna exterminate this little cult. So they, they had the doors locked for fear of the Jews and Jesus came and stood among them. And he said, Shalom Alechem, peace be unto you. He said, when he speaks the word Shalom, he creates Shalom. You know, shalom, according to rabbinical understanding, is the conditions of Eden where there's a river that flows out of Eden that divides into four rivers and waters the whole earth. Shalom, Alechem, peace be to you. And the next verse, verse 21, Jesus said, again Jesus said, peace be to you. So why is he saying it twice? Because it's established. Isaiah said, if we keep our mind fixed on him, we'll have perfect peace. In Hebrew, it's shalom, shalom. It makes it intensive and exponential. So Jesus said again, shalom alechem. And then he gives them a purpose and a commission. And here it is, and I'm saying it to you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So he not only, he gave, he took, he took their fear, set it aside, and spoke peace into their life, and what he speaks is creative. He said it twice, and then he said, now here's the thing, I was sent apostolically from heaven, I was sent here to change the earth, and now I'm sending you to these little scared guys with their knees knocking who weren't, you know, some of them, one of them was missing, you know, like, oh, and... He says, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. He was sent from heaven, perfectly knowing his, his mission from the beginning of time. He's sending us and we don't know what we're doing. And he sends us with all the authority that the Father sent him. Come on. Listen, I mean, and, and then he says, but one thing you need, you need power. And so he breathes on them and tells them to receive the Holy Spirit. Later he tells them, look, stay in Jerusalem until you're clothed with power from on high. And he says, I'm gonna give, they said, are you gonna restore the kingdom at this time after he'd been walking among them for 40 days? He said, it's not for you to know. He said, but I will tell you one thing, that in just very soon you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll be transformed and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And I'm telling you, the commission hasn't changed. So I just want you to lift your hands. Could you say, I believe, Jesus. I believe you are risen. That fear and death have no dominion in my life. And I say amen to every, every declaration 
that was just made. I say, it, it is so. That fear has no rule or dominion in your life. And now, Holy Spirit, would you come? I feel the Holy Spirit, even as I was thinking about saying this, I, Holy Spirit, come upon us in power that we would go out knowing that we are the temples of the Holy Spirit, knowing that whoever we touch is being touched by the hand of the body of Christ, that our words are his words, that our perceptions are his perceptions. Holy Spirit, I just pray there would be a resurrection commissioning upon us that we would carry forth a post-resurrection and a post day of Pentecost reality into the world around us. We thank you that there's awakening in America, that there's harvest all over the earth. I thank you for the few stories I told of great things you're doing, and you're doing so much more. You've brought people here to change the world, and you're sending people from here to change the world. God, we just want to walk in step with you in Jesus' name. Can you say amen? Amen. Okay. <laughs> I better let you go. Uh, but I just think one more time, we should declare it. I mean, this is really a good thing. You can just say this every day when you wake up. And if you're a woman, you could probably change the pronoun. You can say it both ways. But we'll say it the way it's spoken in Scripture. He is risen. Okay? And then, can you, on the count of three, let's say it together. He is risen. Yeah.